Welcome back, uh, twos and threes, to the podcast. So nice, we did it thrice. <laughs> um, we have understood actually by what we intended, just as Caleb said at the end of part two, this was intended to be just a, a one-parter. What we found is actually the more we've actually talked about this and related themes and ideas, it's just hard not to actually cover this. Um, in part one, we talked about actually specifically the proposals themselves and some effective legislature. Um, in part two, we started to actually look at other bills because we understand, even as laymen, that actually when there is legislation in a country, legislation doesn't actually, uh, isn't utilised in a vacuum. It often actually interacts with other pieces of legislation. It sets precedents and actually how lawyers, the courts and judges actually interpret the legislation with each other. And that's why we've actually looked at, say, the likes of the COVID response bill, the counter-terrorism bill, the harmful Digital Communications Act of 2015. And at the end of that second part, we started to look at actually interactions with the popular culture and um, where these ideas, you know, terms you're all familiar with, like cancel culture, or microaggressions, or um, triggering is kind of becoming more the norm. Um, and so we want to kind of talk a little bit more on those interactions with the popular culture, mm -hmm. as well as particularly in this part talking, what we see as some troubling, uh, what we believe are some troubling possibilities in terms of interaction with the proposed conversion therapy bill in New Zealand. And uh, as well as trying to actually end, uh, despite all the doom and gloom, on a hopeful note, and actually trying to encourage well ourselves and actually, you know, Christians, in New Zealand more widely, more generally, what could or what should be our response? Um, be a little, of, little of both of those, we think, because there are coulds and I think there are some shoulds too. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Your thoughts on that so far, my friend? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, more just kind of jumping right into it. Um, something that I was close to bringing up at the end of part two um speaking of media and i guess public interactions um some of you may remember and and this is on a similar note to what you were talking about jared when lauren southern and stefan molyneux came to new zealand mm -hmm. um which we mentioned in part part was it in part one or part two, two? A I can't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, on, on a very similar note to that, talking about how often, now this isn't always the case, but predominantly is most people pushing for things like hate speech are typically on the left side of the political spectrum cool. and liberalism it's quite at odds with the idea of a hate speech ban. Um, universities uh, such as Berkeley and Stanford, and, and, and it, we're talking about just the States at the moment, but that's a big cultural epicenter for the West. Um, mm. The US, uh, a lot of these um, big universities were, in the 60s and 70s, you know, big grounds for free speech movements. Um, mm -hmm. 
even earlier, but uh, especially around that time, uh, a lot of people exercising their rights to protest for the Vietnam War or um, on the back of the civil rights movements. Uh, it, the, these universities were a place for good change, and it seems that this has changed a lot, especially in recent years. I think a few years ago, there was an event where Richard Dawkins, the um, famous biologist, uh, famous atheist who wrote The God Delusion, was going to be speaking at Berkeley University. Mm. And his, his talk got cancelled mm. because he had said some things either in Twitter or in an interview that were disparaging to Islam. He was um, saying that the, the religion of Islam is, is a hateful one and that there are a lot of extremists within the movement and it is an extremely problematic movement in and of itself. Now, whether you agree or disagree, that's, that's not what we're here to discuss. It's what he was saying was his own opinion, but then this, his talks at Berkeley got canceled. He was told he won't be welcome there. Um, and it's funny because the, this man has gained fame or to some notoriety for insulting Christianity time and time again in rather baseless ways um, mm -hmm. a lot of the time. I mean, his whole book, The God Delusion, is is an attack on Christianity. Now, I don't, I'm not really super offended by it. I mm. have the book. I've, I've read it. It's, it's nothing that really strikes me as too heavy, but mm. um. He, he's made a career off that. Um, mm. Yes, he had a previous career as a biologist, and he still is. But the fact that he has been doing this for so long and not and being given a platform by many universities, and then suddenly he talks about a group that it's not very popular to mm. disparage, and this is exactly the problem with what could happen in future if laws are imposed uh, in regards to this. Yeah, like it's, it quickly becomes a matter of like, in terms of utility, and this seems to be actually the, the precedent that's actually set. Uh, people start actually using it to say favour one ideology or a group of ideologies over another. Um, like it's also it's interesting that historically, like they haven't worked hate speech legislation instances of hate speech legislation haven't worked as intended, um, and that you've mentioned quite in detail in both part one and part two, Caleb, that actually dissenting groups and bodies have typically grown resentful or embittered, or if permission is then granted by the powers that be to perpetuate heinous things against fellow man as an ethical good, like yeah. That's the problem, right? These these hate speech restrictions were used to suppress and control, not to liberate and protect. Mm -hmm. They don't achieve what they fundamentally set out to do. Um, yeah, and I see that as a it's 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 curious. You mentioned like the I think the 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 trajectory the left has actually taken in this instance, right? Mm -hmm. um, people who've watched so far might recall in part one. Um, and the end of part two in particular, um, how I started to mention um, 
where the internet's video and it's about 15 minutes long yeah. to talk about why uh, hate speech uh, can sometimes be great speech, right? Um, they mentioned five points. We got on to about three by the end of part two. Shut, number one being shutting down hate speech only makes it stronger. Yeah. Hate speech can only, uh, hate speech can be great speech. Yeah. Uh, hate speech cannot actually hurt you. That's the one we finished with. If you want the wider discussion on these, shameless self-plug, check back at part two. We talked about these at some length. But um, the fifth, fourth point to consider here is actually that suppressing hate speech makes us stupid. Mm. On that note, um, I, I have an article here, also written in 2017 um, by Carl Dufresne. It's around about the time when actually the Paul Moon open letter was being written around this stuff happening. Which, interesting to note, that's four years ago. So that means like this, these kind of ideas, they're not suddenly coming to us as new. Like there's been a, there's been a current of this in culture for some time that's been going on. Um, I'd, I'd just like to read a couple of these quotes from this opinion piece by Carl Dufresne because it's quite well written. Um, so remember the 60s, that was the decade when middle-class baby boomers rose up in defiance of their elders. Nothing was sacred. Traditional morality was scorned and conventional political values overturned as the protest generation stormed the barricades of conformity. This is what you were kind of talking about. It actually, um, you know, the love, love, sex, drugs, and rock and roll revolution, mm. you know, like uh, yeah. of the 1960s, right? The civil rights movement. So there was yeah. important stuff that happened during that area, right? Um, back to quote. Censorship became a hot button issue as the conservative establishment fought in vain to hold the line against the tsunami of liberalism in films, literature, television, and music. At the heart of this cultural revolution were students vigorously pushing back the boundaries of what was considered acceptable in terms of both behavior and speech. Hmm. University campuses served as incubators for much of the social and political liberalism that was to transform New Zealand society. The same was true overseas, where student radicalism flourished from <laughs> California's Berkeley to Francis Sorbonne. Hmm. How ironic then that many universities overseas have become repressive environments where political debate is shut down and anyone daring to challenge ideological orthodoxy is intimidated into silence. Yeah. I just want to quote the end here as well. Um, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, friend. Um, what's going on here? Is this really what the student radicals of the 1960s wanted? Did the bold liberalism of that era take a wrong turning somewhere, eventually spawning a generation of frightened of and hostile to ideological diversity? Or was the 60s revolution a bit of a fraud all along, the real liberal agenda being to replace one form of bigotry and conformity with another? Part of the problem is that overwhelming left-leaning academic establishment is that an overwhelming left-leaning academic establishment? One leading American academic calls it an intellectual monoculture. Has promoted a type of groupthink that is intolerant of dissent. The irony, of course, is that today's speech police are the direct ideological descendants of those 1960s radicals. Only now they are in control and seeking to impose a type of censorship that's just as prudish and po-faced as anything from that supposedly oppressive era yeah yeah true true right <laughs> yeah yeah and it's um it, it just real quick really quickly it, it's quite funny that really longly take your time yeah <laughs> um 
it, it's quite funny that you know you you have these these extremes you know you go far left enough and you'll circle back to quite far right and um uh, it happens on both ends of the political spectrum with that in mind uh, i'm reminded of a few years ago there was a a big controversy in detroit in which in a town i, I think at the one of the courthouses they had erected a, a big um statue of the ten commandment tablet the ten commandments on it on tablets mm. and the reasoning was while a lot of the nation's laws are based on biblical uh values and ethics and, and i would agree you know, I would say, Christian worldview, sure. yeah i would say most if not all uh well not all no definitely not not, not all uh most uh, fundamental Western values have been based in Judeo-Christian uh, ethics and um, values. However, the idea of freedom of speech and freedom of religion, um, especially the separation of church and state within the United States, requires that to not necess- that 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 to to be allowable. However, it also means that other religions, were they wanting to be represented, should be able to do so. And um, Satanists, members of the uh, Levian Church of Satan all over, and other churches of uh, satanic movements Mm. all over the states, um, Mm. decided to petition the government to erect a statue of Baphomet. And for a day, at least, they they had it on the back of a truck or a trailer and they unveiled it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if they actually ended up being successful in erecting that statue in that area, mm. but they kept on trying and, and there were mm. huge protests from Christians in, in the town and as per, as, as is their right given to them by the first amendment, mm. they are allowed to protest that but they're not allowed to stop it from happening. And I don't believe the government should be allowed to stop it from happening. I'd Mm. rather not be seen. I'd rather not um, have people in the streets be worshipping an icon for Satan or or an image that represents uh, Satan, but Mm. that's their choice and that's their their right to do so. Um, Which I would argue is actually (laughs) respect for diversity of opinion is... Is an idea embedded within a Christian worldview as well, not exclusively, yeah. not exclusively, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go yeah, on. definitely, and and sadly, that was not being uh, shown by a lot of the Christians of that city. Mm. A lot of them were saying some very, very um, hateful um, things. <laughs> uh, what I personally believe to be hateful things, um, and. It, we as Christians are called to um, are, are called to defend our faith and take a stand. Mm. Um, one second, I'll just look this up while I and I'll come back to the thought. I mean, while you're searching that, can I just leap in to actually say, like, in regarding this idea of suppressing hate speech, making us mm. stupid, uh, it's a shame that actually, you know, there's a certain there's a certain trend within our, you know, Christian, you know, within Christianity, 
within evangelicalism that's fundamental, that's quite conservative, um, that actually imbibes that idea, right? Like it actually, it's this idea of like, no, you know, close out any dissension, any point of view that isn't. And as a result, you become quite ignorant. You become quite naive because you become kind of, you know, you can become a holy hermit. Um, yeah. And the idea being, you know, um, heavenly minded, but no earthly good, right? Like mm. salt and light you know, being kind of the, the thing that often I think of, the thing that often confronts me, right? Mm. It's, it's, I feel like um, Lou Perez's points in actually advancing, expressing hate speech, which are stupid. And yeah. our Christian brothers and sisters are guilty of this. You know, I can be guilty of this, mm. hopefully less and less so as I mature in Christ, right? But it's our exposure to differences of opinion that actually sharpens our critique mm. and sometimes enhances, often enhances our promotion of our own thinking and actions. Like yeah. muting dissenting opinions often gradually means we become dogmatic mm. and people cease to remember the reasons yeah. beliefs are held. I think that's a really important one. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder, you know, no wonder like there's this trend. Um, Dan Lake mentioned this a little bit with Barna Group and their statistics. I've had a bit of a look at since that we see an evangelicalism in the States. There's a lot, there's a huge amount of um, statistically uh, between, I think it's 18 to like 24 year olds, this huge drop off of like actually people leaving the church, like have been brought up in Christian com communities and they yeah. just see this what evangelicalism stereotypically is being represented as and they're like i'm not for that yeah. like whatever wherever christ is it's not here and i'm gonna yeah. and i'm resisting that resenting that moving away from that yeah and i think it's some of that stupidity that they're yeah definitely. resisting. but yeah go on sorry yeah no 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 worries um i just yeah so so as i was saying about um a lot of these christians being particularly hateful we as Christians are called to defend the faith. We are called mm. to spread the gospel. First mm. Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, mm. always being prepared uh, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. And that's wonderful, except we often, far too often, in this case in Detroit, and in many cases, in, in my own life, uh, in my own, and my own uh, actions and words, um, we forget the last part of that verse. Mm. Let's do it with gentleness and respect. Um, and this is something that I think we, as Christians, should keep in mind for this whole. Uh, discussion around hate speech is yes. yes we we should be we should be defending uh freedom of speech but mm. we as christians should also be uh leading a social uh influence and in, in, i guess uh, we should be stewards of grace mm. we should have grace in what we say and yes at times a lot of the gospel is offensive it is it is foolishness to those who are not saved, it is confrontational. It is it is pointing out people's sin, and it is saying that we don't live right, that we we are sinners and we are damned. But mm -hmm. it's also loving. Uh, mm -hmm. And yes, Jesus got pretty 
pretty full on at times and he started whipping some people um but that that's a whole other, whole other thing um so let's just save the vitriol for the prosperity gospel because um, that's basically what jesus is doing um well there's a kind of eisegetical pragmatism right like you know i think like you know we're all guilty of kind of you know i can say this in, in my younger faith years it's like we find certain you know key passages and we kind of emphasize that at the expense of other passages but it's like this came through you know with a recent podcast we recorded no, no spoilers that'll come out later you know but we're we're pretty we're pretty excited to actually uh share that guest one of his big things was actually there is increasing biblical illiteracy in our society and we're called to be people of the word you know I, I find like you know the more I get into scripture the older I get the more it makes sense and the more there's actually oh yeah there's this really narrow way between excesses that actually is being advocated by Jesus right that's yeah. not about actually just pick a proof text and then say cool this um confirms my biases and I can do whatever I want because God's yeah. authenticating it. it's like no like actually it's this but it's also that and that and that and that and that you know like it's yeah. and you only do that by actually indwelling scripture right you know? yeah um it, it's the it's the both and approach yes yeah mm. um I mean on that note like Lou Perez's last point he makes was uh I hate to say it but hate speech makes us better mm. <laughs> And uh, I think actually around this, like it, it, it affords us the opportunity to say, no, no, if that we are definitely not for that. Um, people yeah. with disparate beliefs actually find touchstones of unity in which to rally around. And so mm. some of the stuff that actually these hate speech proposals are suggesting, I think as Christians, we can actually be like, yes, respect for diversity of opinion. Yes, like yeah. people should have access to human rights. Yes, people should actually not be abused and yes there should be consequences for actions mm. but when it comes to a point of like it becomes ideologically based and it becomes not a respect for the fundamental diversity of opinion or of religion if it actually then contradicts those same human rights that are seeming to you know proposing to be advanced mm. then we have problems you know then we actually have obviously like there's going to be a a really difficult road of dissecting the subjectivism of when and which applies and how to proceed and with it it's uh, by the process of only muddying the waters people are only going to abuse get abused yeah. and actually get uh mistreated um yeah. that's what i'm seeing coming through with actually these particular legislation attempts mm -hmm. um it's mucky it's murky yeah yeah mucky. and um I guess may, maybe not related. In my head, there are some connections, but uh, that, that's ADHD brain for you if, if those of you don't quite pick up the connection of how I got here. But um, I'm, I'm reminded of some happenings uh, back a few years ago. I can't remember exactly when, when there were the on, on the verge and in, in the popularity or I guess the, the media... Um, the strong media presence of the Hong Kong protests mm -hmm. um, with changes to the government and how the Hong Kong and Chinese gut mainland government interacted. Mm. There were a lot of uh, 
protests over here because New Zealand has a strong Chinese community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of Chinese and non-Chinese people here wanted to voice their, um, you know, voice their their hurt, their heartbreak, their their anger for what was happening to their um, fellow countrymen or just brothers and, and sisters in China um, mm. and in Hong Kong. And a lot of them being students. Mm. And there were students at Auckland University of Technology, the same mm. university that um, the letter you were reading from mm. uh, came out of that started protesting these, these happenings. And not only that, but protesting a lot of Chinese involvement, Chinese government involvement with the university. Mm. these students were eventually asked by, were contacted and asked by AUT and told to stop protesting or they would be expelled. And if that's Mm. not violating their freedom of speech, you know, their right to protest, um, holding them back from education. Yes, it's technically private education, technically, but it's a bit muddied when it comes to New Zealand universities. Um, well, I mean, I, th- I think that's an interesting anecdotally because hmm. arguably under the current legislation, they would have case, right? Yeah. If they would actually advance that, you know, go to like a human rights advocate, you know, go to a lawyer, you know, find some kind of person who would be willing to back them. There's hmm. arguably a case there, right? Where they could actually yeah. say, but this is some of the argument with like, you know, the hate speech proposals is that, oh, you know, it's because the precedent doesn't exist that people don't actually access them more and make use of them more. Um, But I mean, the trouble is with these, like we've said, this particular set of proposals, it's again, the subjectivism. It's like, how do you say which is and what isn't? How do you exactly, as you said in our part one, how do you actually determine intent? That's yeah. like a very difficult thing to actually um, make sure of. And, and the politicization, man, like there's a lot of contextual talk in New Zealand about at the moment about um, with regards to critique of our government, how things are becoming so politicized you know, yeah. all over the place, all sectors of society becoming so politicized. I thought it was interesting in doing some research for this podcast or <laughs> these podcasts. Mm. Um finding out about the Ugandan presidential election in 2021. And there's this uh, particular um, president, uh, Museveni, um, who has served six terms. And he's been kind of like a, almost unanimously voted by his Ugandan people. It's like, oh, the people want this president. Mm. But what's interesting is that um, this, um, this detractor, this other presidential elect, Bobby Vine, um, Wine, I might be saying that incorrectly. Um, former RB star, now gone political, very intelligent, very captivating. It's worth looking up. We'll put a link in, in later. Um, it's interesting that uh, he's being very vocal and actually saying, you know, this guy is corrupt. He is advancing his agenda. He is using the military to suppress silence and to suppress, you know, different points of view. Um, like this is fairly well documented like bobby wine himself can't even do these broadcasts in uganda he has to yeah. actually be in other in another country in africa in which to actually 
bring attention to these dissenting points of view. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting with this more recent election, there is a groundswell of people in Uganda who are saying, no, we actually voted him in, not the six-term president, Museveni, um, but the elections have been hijacked. Like, this is the trouble, like, uh, like it, it's not surprising that when these proposals in New Zealand went through Parliament and were debated at the initial first reading, because it wasn't a bill yet again, it's proposals, um, that political opinion was really contested by cabinet, that they really didn't actually, you can't say that that's hate speech because you're going to actually end up in situations exactly like this kind of context here. Yeah. And this has also been a historical precedent with hate speech. When you favor one ideology over another, it doesn't take a lot of political maneuvering, um, ideological reframing to actually say, well, clearly that's an example of this. Clearly that's an example of that. And especially when you see pieces of legislation interacting with other pieces of legislation, yeah. here are some of my concerns. Might not come to pass, but as you've also said, Caleb, like it only takes uh, some ill-meaning, not well-meaning, ill-meaning uh, body in power or people in power or person in power to then utilize that with ill intent mm -hmm. um once it's written law it's very hard to redact it's very hard to actually write out of law yeah um yeah troubling i think actually a society they're actually saying we want to allow for the most diversity of opinion as possible but also the possibility of unity which is a wonderful thing right which is a beautiful mm. thing yeah mm. yeah and and that's one thing that is really um has really quite upset me um, in recent times with a whole lot of things happening in New Zealand around varying opinions on lockdowns and vaccine mm. mandates and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, vaccine passports or certificates um, and this this bill, this proposed hate speech bill and yes. it's the division that it causes when Ironically, following the, the horrific events of, of the Christchurch terror attack, um, there was a huge call. And I, I'm, I'm not a hugely patriotic person. I, I'm, I'm proud of New Zealand, I, I, but I, I've never been one to um, cry whilst singing the national anthem. Um, I don't have any disrespect for people who do, but... Um, it's just not quite been me, but I was extremely proud of our nation when the way that people came together after uh, the attack. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of unity and, and that was a great response to a, a man or a, I, I hesitate to call him that, but, you know, um, to someone who was pushing so so hard to cause division and mm. break down unity mm. we as a nation stood up and said no we're not going to do that we're going to we're going to pull together uh, we're not going to fight each other and there, there, there were some there was obviously as there always is you know some minorities that were not quite doing the same and um but that was 
the media didn't want to give them any attention and good that they didn't um, because they weren't really representing many people's voices anyway. So why would they? Um, well, well, it angers me. It doesn't it yang you more that it's like we've shown that they're, you know, the government's use of the Christchurch attacks, actually mm. say, this is why we need hate speech laws, is actually dishonest. Mm. It was, you know, it predates that. Mm. And so actually it, it becomes actually these proposals are about something political, you know, it's yeah. about something ideological. It's not even about the people who actually have suffered in this instance. Like maybe that's yeah. a misrepresentation of individual people, but yeah. that just, that just, Girl. Yeah, that that does that does upset me as well. But what 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 really upsets me is the division that's being caused now mm-hmm. on the back of these things, mm-hmm. and the fact that the Labour government and other um, MPs are pushing for this bill to be put through, mm-hmm. using the reasoning of trying to prevent things like that terror attack happening again, mm-hmm. and it's just cause it's it's tearing apart the unity of the country. It's mm-hmm it's causing so much vitriol that it's not it's achieving exactly what Brenton Tarrant set out to do he one of the things that he said in his manifesto again disclaimer don't own it um but in his in, in, in his manifesto he said that he wants part one of the reasons because he, he kind of phrases it as like a Q&A almost as if someone's interviewing him he was a real real tall uh, the way he wrote it as well he thought he thought he was the man um, but he was total dickhead um, but he kind of has like a why did you carry out the shooting and has several points um, uses a lot of awful awful language and just one of the things he says is uh something along the lines of to cause the opponents of or the, the my political enemies to overstretch their hand to overreach their hands and taking back firearms and this and that and one of the things he mentions is restricting speech or something along those lines and it's kind of like that's what he was aiming for he gave them a boost and, and he wanted that because he wanted people who he disagreed with in power to overreach their, to be, to be overreaching with their power and then cause more, uh, more uh, division and more upset and political unrest uh, until a point of which more people would start fighting. It's so sad. It's like, that's what's being achieved by this. Yeah. That's that that's a that's a really poignant observation then. Um we'll pray against that in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> you know, um I want unity to win out. Hey. Um perhaps it's good at this point to actually shift over to actually talking about the conversion therapy bill, um, the specific name being um, the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill. Yeah. Um, so, like a couple, a couple of things that you consider here. Um, like, firstly, disclaimer: like, we're not lawyers, we're not experts. Um, 
we also want to be supportive of some principles of this bill. Hopefully yeah. the conversation we're about to have around that um, yeah. clarifies what those points are. Even to that point, our intent is actually to uh, interview a guest coming up to actually mm. talk about this very issue. Someone from who, from their standpoint of epistemology, um, would actually have a lot to say and actually uh, in advocacy perhaps of and for. So we're, we're expecting some nuance. We're expecting to actually be educated ourselves. Um, and we we want to actually very much in the in the theme of this podcast adva advance you know, discussion around these ideas, you know, diversity of opinion. But I mean, I, I don't know if some of you actually follow, say, Bob McCoskery on Facebook of Family First New Zealand. Um, he's gone done quite an extensive job sharing um, the oral submissions that have been made even during lockdown around this legislation. Um, and it's so interesting just how many detracting opinions around this from people you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, not just Christians. Sure, there are Christians giving submissions, but a real diversity of points and a real diversity of perspectives about why uh, this bill in its current form isn't sufficient enough at best and actually really worrying at worst. Um, like we, we, I myself, I worry about the timing of this uh, conversion therapy bill alongside these hate speech proposals if this goes forward to bill form. Yeah. Um, given that this is, I would say, conversion therapy has never really been an issue in New Zealand, uh, it again is worrying about who is being targeted then, what is being protected against, who then will be discriminated against this. I, I want to qualify that then, like um, conversion therapy in the past, um, you know, there used to be horrific instances, human rights abuses, we're talking about electroshock therapy or isolation to actually treat um, feelings of uh, same-sex attraction, actually um, being, you know, identifying as homosexual, like awful barbaric things. Mm -hmm. Just, and we should actually, as Christians, have no problem saying, yeah, of course, that, yeah. that should be legislated against. That's human rights abuses, no problem there. Mm. Or, and already is legislated against, in my opinion. Sure. But the curious thing then is actually, I think that actually from my discussions with people, this is again the muddiness of the subjectivism yeah. around the SOGI uh, particulars of these hate speech proposals and the uh, conversion therapy um, advancements. I'll project the bill shortly. In fact, why don't I just actually go ahead and actually share that while we're talking about it um, in the background. Uh, yeah, so it's quite actually a short bill that's actually proposed. Um, my concern is um, some of you might have seen actually a Netflix special um, that was called Pray Away. Quite well done, worth watching. Um, it talked extensively about the Exodus movement in the States, um, which was like Christian organization of mainly uh, Christians dealing with same-sex attraction. So, you know, not people, you know, from their own standpoint, from their own point of view, you know, not struggling with that like they were saying like actually no we are of this particular um description we are christian we identify as christian we identify as you know being homosexual currently struggling with homosexual attraction and the documentary do goes to quite uh, an extent of actually saying you know these are 
what was done by the Exodus movement in advocating a uh, denial of who you really are, your identity, a denial of your gender identity, a denial of actually your, your feelings and your impulses and your desires as actually being uh, abuse, as being torture. Mm-hmm. To the extent that actually, uh, to the extent that actually they were talking about untrained counselors and professionals, um, perhaps actually dealing in this space and actually, you know, in small groups actually advocating this to each other. I, I think I'd perhaps agree with that. Like maybe that it certainly wasn't in their orthopraxis, their modus operandi to actually say, yeah, let's have trained counselors administering these um, these practices. Let's have it like a, as most counselors would do today, actually led by uh, the individual rather than actually imposed onto the individual. Um, but again, I'm finding with a lot of these conversations, we're not talking about conversion therapy being this thing that has happened, say, you know, 60, you know, 60, 50 years in the past. We're talking about actually this thing that's happening maybe in churches, maybe yeah. in faith-based institutions, yeah. maybe in some counseling practices, maybe in some schools. And it's very much at least the, as far as actually the one, the, the oral s- submissions have come through, it's very much actually penalizing on one side of this, like, you know, combined with actually the new health curriculum that is very much advancing, a SOGI, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity component as, the, as part of the curriculum, part of the state curriculum, and actually this idea that... Um, It's only one way that we're actually talking about. We have instances where, you know, to affirm your gender identity uh, as, oh, I'm different from what actually I was otherwise assigned at birth or biologically essentially am, well, being a biological essentialist. Um, the problem that is that it doesn't actually then advocate on the other way. Say if that same individual says, I'm going to detransition or I'm actually going to go back to the gender I was, that is actually not seen as a component. If someone is actually in counseling, in conversation, you know, actually recommended, well, what if you were to live within your assigned gender? What if you were to live within actually the gender you were born? That's tantamount to hate speech. That's tantamount to conversion practice. Yeah. Under this legislation. And uh, while you look through that, um, (laughs) that just reminds me of the, countless amounts of people who are going through detransitioning um who face the same amount a lot of them argue uh this isn't me them are arguing more uh discrimination than when Mm -hmm. they did transition in the first place Mm -hmm. um kind of puts that into perspective as well Mm, exactly exactly like um the hate speech proposals or the conversion therapy like there's some troubling instances like there's like okay hopefully that's worked out you know in the refining process and actually what's put forward like um but you know there's the potential that they could be worked out and actually say like actually they're going to not resemble the form that they are now when actually they do go through to some form of legislation, right? 
Um, but I very much, I, I want to trust parliamentary process there. Like, but I very much worry that actually these hate speech proposals in this prohibition bill here, I've highlighted in five for a reason, because so you can read for yourselves, those who are watching via YouTube, um, just some of the, the problems associated with this, perhaps some of you have actually picked up on them, some of them already. I very much worry about the utility when both of these are used together. See, like these nebulous definitions, sure, they try to actually give some definitions of this is what conversion practice is, this is what health practitioner means, this is what health service means, scope of practice, serious harm. And we are lame in interpreting this. I disclaim mm -hmm. that, I, I give that. Um, but these, these again, it's subjectivism, right? These definitions require the lawyers and the judges in the courts to have to do more of their work to interpret this. And so institutions will have to actually develop policy or procedure to enact this. Um, I think about my own context of Kingsway, of Christian schools more widely. Yeah. What do we do with staff who, you know, perhaps self-identify and actually want to be hired in a place that are like, yes, I'm a Christian, you know, they want to actually work in a place, faith-based institution like Kingsway. Interesting precedent, right? Um, yeah. What do you do if actually you're a health service, you're actually giving counselling and um, you're in the heart of actually advancing all possible perspectives, all instances, we see actually, you know, no, just actually conversation is shut down and only one point of view is, is advanced. This is already the case in actually Australia has actually gone further down this road with proposing um, changes around this legislatively. Um, we already see um, councillors saying um, people who are seeking counselling around these kind of conversations around these issues. Um, we see councillors, you know, in good standing saying, nope, not touching that, not going to actually help these people. Sorry, it's just too political. It's just too dangerous. It, it potentially risks me losing my practice. And I think like, how sad, you know, how sad we've got people who actually want help. And because of the, the politically charged nature of this, it's like people who are neglected help accordingly because they fear the political uh, repercussions by just doing their jobs, you know, what they are actually taught and trained to do as best practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like you, you can see, some of the concerns like do there any yeah. things that, that particularly stand out to you it's like that's particularly worrying my friend um not that i can think of at the moment i think most of my um notes i've got for this uh i'm i'm i have not quite in the back of my mind at the moment uh mm. just to keep them for our later cast yes. um Good yeah um, I'll just keep you all waiting and hopefully that suspense <laughs> brings, brings the views back. And, uh, um, but one, one thing that I do think of uh, um, is how this, and again, kind of going back to the media thing, but also within this context, mm -hmm. um, in between filming part two and three of these, um, there, there has been a bit of a controversy uh, in, with Netflix um, with good old Dave Chappelle yes um, did the uh, he did a stand-up special he, he, he had a series of stand-up specials and this is the final it was called the, the Closer 
was it the closer? Mm. Yeah. And um, he came under serious. Um, he, he he's had he's had uh, problems along these lines before, but uh, some comments about um, about trans issues and turfdom and the like. Uh, he he said that he was he was team turf. Uh, for those who are unaware of what turfs are, it's trans exclusionary radical feminists. So it's typically uh, feminists who believe that trans movements are encroaching upon women's rights. Um, so they're not typically pro-trans in the uh, in the way that most LGBT movements would be. Um, and like to just give sort of a couple of examples of that, like uh, some of the like reasons they might advance is like, should we have a self-identifying uh, female who actually is biologically a male in women's prisons? Should we yeah. have shared spaces like toilets where women are actually saying, actually, this is a safe space for me. And actually, because a man, a biological male, identifies as fem- female, wants to use that space mm. that they should be allowed to um yeah. and that's something that actually happened in new zealand um mm. was we were allowing um male to female and vice versa uh transgender prisoners to be in the prison that that goes along with their chosen gender sure. um and then they had to change their rules to anyone who was pre-op cannot mm. they they have to be so if it's a pre-op male to female trans uh, and they still have male genitalia they have to be in a men's prison the That's reason curious. being is because there was a pre-op um trans prisoner who still had male genitalia who was in a woman's prison in new zealand they went off there um hormone blockers went off their meds and slept with a female prisoner and that prisoner got pregnant so that caused a huge stir and um it just became it it, it became a crazy crazy time uh, in, in the department of corrections but anyway back to um dave chappelle uh he said some things that I didn't find, I personally found him to be relatively offensive, uh, quite a few of the things, but it's his right as a comedian, especially in the United States, um, to be saying said things and voicing his opinions. But he um, said some things that wouldn't be go down well with a lot of the trans community. And uh, there, there's, there's been a lot of uh, blowback from that. And I can imagine if we had similar things in New Zealand, um, similar happenings in New Zealand with these bills being pushed through, um, both the conversion therapy bill and the hate speech bill, I can see some very, very dangerous waters for us. Um, So yeah, just piggybacking on Jared's ideas of Mm. all of these bills coming through together at the same time can be quite concerning. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking to like, you know, culture, 
wanting to be a place where there's actually respect for diversity of opinion. I think it's so sad in that closer special. It finishes off by Dave talking about this personal friend of his, Daphne, mm. um, yeah. who was a trans, you know, transgender um, individual um, who was a uh, previously biologically a man and then identified as a woman. Um, mm. And she was a friend, you know, of Dave's, loved his stuff, loved his material. Um, yeah. Dave supported her on her comedic journey as she sought to develop as a comedian. Yeah. Um, and, and coming out to support Dave initially when this was all kicking off, you know, all this kind of uh, hate on him, she got basically blasted on Twitter um, yeah. by people of her own community with really, really hateful stuff. Yeah. And whether it was directly related or indirectly related, I mean, there could definitely be made an argument to uh, correlate this, right? Yeah. Um, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. He closes out actually this special by actually talking about how she took her own life yeah. um, not long after actually coming out to defend him. There being this reaction on Twitter where just like thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people just vilified her. Yeah. Um, and I thought like how sad that even within groups, within communities that should actually, oh, you're one of us. You yeah. have a difference of opinion. We can respect that. We don't find the kind of support that there should be. Um, I think there's actually why actually there should be a space where Christians themselves should actually say, if we have, you know, transgender, gay loved ones, and the statistics are pretty indicative that actually uh, there are people who are struggling with same-sex attraction in churches. Um, there are people who are comfortably living, you know, homosexual, bisexual, a transgender lifestyle that we're probably already in connection with. If we don't know them, we may not, not know about them. But my point being that actually there's definitely a space where we should be able to say, you know, you're a fellow human. You're made in the image of God. You know, I love you on that basis. You know, mm. um, it comes back to the... Um, Evelyn Beatrice Hall quote, um, you know, I may disagree with you, I'm butchering the quote now, I may disagree with you, but I'll, you know, defend to the death your right to say it, you know. Yeah. Um, I may disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for mm. your right to say it. Definitely butchering that quote. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. Just like, yep, yep, you are. Yep. No, <laughs> no, no I, I agree. And, and it's just, um, I think it, it, it's just evident one the this whole fallout because of it is evident of the way a lot of just craziness is happening because mm. as as a result of Netflix allowing this special and, and having this special on their platform, uh, there was a huge protest outside Netflix's main office in California. Mm. Um, well, the CEO took many, an interesting many, stance, didn't he? Yeah, because they're gone. The CEO, the CEO of Netflix took an interesting stance, didn't he? He didn't outright actually say, oh, yeah, like, you know, we'll cancel the special and we'll get rid of it. It's like, mm. no, this is within the realm of comedy. You know, an unconventional stance, he basically said, like, no, we're actually going to still air this. We're still going to share Closer. Yeah. Because comedy has actually, you know, historically exists to push boundaries and actually question yeah. things and make us think um, that's part of its domain. And so... People didn't like that. It yeah, fit the and, and it's, it, it, it's funny because 
um, a lot of Netflix employees joined in on that protest as a result mm. of what the CEO had said. Um, and <laughs> I saw this video. This is how this is how this came to my attention was because I saw this video on Reddit. It was of the protest. This uh, group of people who were counter protesters who were um, pro Dave Chappelle, pro the idea of freedom of speech, and they had these signs saying, you know, uh, free Dave and uh, we like Dave and jokes um, are funny. Yeah, and they were chanting, jokes <laughs> are funny, jokes are funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. We like jokes. Um, and then the like, people what, get up. What in his timeline face. are we on that that's a protest? Yeah. Like, like yeah. jokes the, the are people, funny. <laughs> yeah. The people get in his face and one of them takes his um, picket sign off him, takes the sign off it, or they rip the sign off and they're like, he's got a weapon. Because it's now just a stick and they're like, he's got a weapon. And like, he's carrying on with his protest and he's laughing and he's having a good time. And this one woman comes up and gets in his face and like screams while another woman like has some like, I can't even remember, some instrument and makes clanging noises. And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it's funny because Dave Chappelle points out and and this is interestingly following the lines of a lot of um, hard left thinking mm. in terms of standpoint epistemology. You know the mm. idea of if you fall within these categories of persecution, mm. if you are within these minorities of being a persecuted person, you have, mm. according to standpoint epistemology, more of a right to speak out on issues, especially mm. if you are uh, if you are in that subgroup but Mm. if you fit into these categories you can speak about other uh, intersectional ideas um and that's where standpoint epistemology and intersectionality overlap um uh shout out to our previous cast on cancel culture and uh standpoint epistemology Um, 12 i think yeah yeah yes um he, he talks about how he was in a bar and there was this uh, male to female trans person. She had come into this bar um, with two friends, two um, he said big tall black men who um, he said he was pretty sure they were gay. Um, and she gets up in his face and she's, you know, yelling at him and because at first he's being friendly with her and then she gets up and starts yelling at him and talking about, you don't know the, uh, the oppression my people have been through for decades. We've been oppressed for decades. And Dave Chappelle, a black man, just kind of says to the, the other guys, like, are you guys going to tell them? Are you going to tell her? Like, um, like, it's just funny, this whole, like, you can't have it both ways. Mm. Mm. Um, you just can't have it both ways. And, and this shows that the people who are pushing for these bills don't realize that this is what they're pushing for is they're pushing for just ultimate, just, it, it makes no sense. And if we are going to start charging and convicting people for essentially what could become thought crimes, um, and I'm not going to retract saying that. That will be extremely dangerous and mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We'll have a government that's far too far reaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree, man. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's utility that worries me. Um, I thought it was interesting that actually you had um, uh, Peter Mortlock of City Impact Church and Paul de Jong of Life Church actually comment on the conversion uh, therapy bill. Um, and like, you know, whether you agree with these people or not, like um, doctrinally or theologically, um, you can't deny that they're, <laughs> you can't deny that they're people who have platforms and they're people yeah. who have pastoral experience and thus pastoral authority. So they're also thinking like of their congregations, they're thinking um, as shepherds um, of the influence that Christ has entrusted them with. They're actually thinking like, okay, how do I lead the people that I'm directly responsible for um, to navigate these kind of waters? And how do I like lead the people I'm indirectly responsible for to navigate these waters? Um, Especially especially Paul DeYoung, who has, I don't know if he's still on his uh, pastoral team, but... um, well, I don't know if he's pastor or just counselling for the church, but Cy Rogers. Cy Rogers, yeah. On his team. Um, Cy, was, yeah. Yes, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, really? Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Oh. Um, but anyone who's ever had the privilege, had the privilege of being able to hear Cy Rogers preach, like, around these issues, phenomenal, amazing, worth searching out, actually. So, like, talking to some of these particular points, um, so Peter Mortlock, he made a submission, one of the oral submissions um, to the select committee around the conversion therapy bill. Um, among his perspective, he argued that from the health perspective, actually endorsing the subjectivism associated with this will actually harm the object of the bill and its intentions with regards to well-being and suicidality and discrimination. And so children who already navigate confusion and uncertainty through adolescence, which affects mental health, of course. Governments now wanting to introduce more confusion, that's governmentally mandated. Um, he argues that the medical harm caused by transitioning will further lead to detrimental effects on mental well-being, which is again ironic given what the bill seeks to address. He also argues that things considered conversion therapy um, were practiced by no doubt sincere practitioners on not just the uh, not just the actors of society that this bill seeks to support, um, not just the actual people that this is purporting to support. Um, and it echoes um, what Paul de Jong actually says in his, not a submission, but a video where he actually talks about some of these themes, um, that this bill in its current form will actually criminalize parents who advocate any stance other than the popular culture's narrative. There's a stance where it actually says like, you know, oh, if it's conversation, like from the bill that we actually had up before, hopefully you might've seen this and actually dissected it for yourself. If you haven't, it doesn't take long to read, 10 minutes and you could actually make sense of this. It's quite a short bill. Um, but the bill in its current form, basically anything other than uh, side A perspective on this issue, by that I'm talking about the typical Christian viewing of this conversation, side A, um, side B. We can link in the description if anyone would like uh, an unpacking of those terms. Anything other than the popular culture narrative around these ideas um, gets criminalized. If you're a parent actually saying, it's like, hey, well, what if you were to live within your uh, assigned gender? What if you were to live within your biology? Um, Mm -hmm. And someone 
comes of age and they decide they don't like that their parents were advocating that, they could take their parents to court. People saying you're being ridiculous, you know, people saying like that's not true. This has happened. There are cases in Canada where actually this kind of legislation has been put through and it has divided families because exactly this kind of thing has occurred where families have turned against each other because you have parents, you know, one parent supporting their child actually in their chosen soji, you have one parent against it, and then actually parents get sued and more, more cases actually get worked up. Yeah. Um, and then larger members, you know, more extended members of the family take sides. Yes. Yes. Especially when it goes to court. It's like, if this was a problem, if this was a thing of actually, you know, you're 18 years old, and you're actually making a decision for yourself, love that. You know, the freedom in our society actually affords these kind of privileges. Mm. But I get really, especially as an educator, especially as a teacher, I get really kind of like when ideology is being kind of injected into education and it's only one way and it's silencing the other opinion and it's affecting children, like I get, I get pretty incensed because it's like these are our innocence, these are our impressionable, these are our you know, we need to give a diversity of opinion while protecting them, you know, like we're saying in a country that someone can decide their gender, but then they can't vote until they're 18. They can't drive a car until they're 16. Like on paper, this, this seems really ludicrous. Paul de Jong says that in terms of the conversion therapy of the past, he hasn't seen this kind of thing uh, in his 40 years of ministry pretty strong claim, the kind of thing that is actually typically being regarded as conversion therapy. Um, he clarifies that the therapy that manipulates people to be anything other than that what they and their heart wish to be actually runs against the libertarian bent in scripture, an idea I actually agree with. But this said, this bill itself ex affords extraordinary limits on New Zealand citizens already. Uh, he said that in its current form, paradoxically, will offer less freedom to New Zealanders rather than more, even on the thing that it's seeking to advise on. Um, he also advises not submitting. Um, so this is an important point of what you can do. Um, I believe oral submissions are still being taken even now. And not submitting from the perspective of the church, but as New Zealand citizens from all different kinds of angles, suggesting amendments rather then dismissal entirely. Don't just rubbish the whole document. Actually say, okay, no, the conversion therapy bill needs to be amended here, here, and here. And I'm saying this not as a church member because that perspective is effectively being rubbished and dismissed. Actually saying, I'm saying this as a doctor. I'm saying this as a parent. I'm saying this as a sports coach. I'm saying this as a, a member of these different sectors of society where <laughs> there is intersectionality, right? Um, Coupled with these proposals, um, this will further extend the jurisdictive reach of law to criminalize faith-based families. I, I just, I don't accept the strawman arguments that non-lawyers don't have understanding here, or yeah. it won't be used in the way religious people fear it will be used. Yeah. Like, I believe if that, those... If, if, sorry, just to interject quickly, if non-lawyers can't be experts, why did our government put it to us to make the deciding vote on the end of life bill in the cannabis referendum? Although ours wasn't deciding on cannabis, but mm -hmm. it was for sure with the end of life bill. And that is a very serious bill that has mm. sadly been put through. Mm. 
but yeah exactly it's like i actually believe that those kind of perspectives they're actually dismissive of any opinions that aren't supportive mm. and so they're frankly they're quite naive if, if you're going to dismiss mm-hmm. like see i want to say here as well i actually think there is a percentage of the population uh who with gender dysphoria will and should be able to benefit from a revised version of this bill yeah maybe that's controversial maybe you disagree with me friend but as a disclaimer i'm i've like we've said not an objective on other subjective experience or in the study devoted to the subject something i'd like to actually become more educated um Mm -hmm. in the future you know shout out the likes of preston sprinkle who's done uh, lots of work in this area you know, yeah, important. Yeah, no, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely agree with you, and I couldn't mm. put it better myself. I'll, I'll say that. Mm. But I think normalizing or sensationalizing what, in some circles, is actually being called a medical phenomenon. Like, there's phenomenological studies actually saying it's like, why is it that you know, increasing amounts of young women, you know, not even 18 years of age, are transitioning? And then later in the years, detransitioning. The statistics are indicating this, right? Yeah. I think normalizing, sensationalizing this uh, medical phenomenon will actually harm those who desire to transition, but actually shouldn't. By way of cross-hormone therapies, by way of puberty blockers, by way of uh, discriminating against actually this best practice now discriminating actually uh, living within your embodied gender. Yeah. Um, like, are we willing to talk about the effect that actually some of these, um, in some instances, quite invasive surgical procedures actually have a fit, uh, have on your sterility, on your fertility? Yeah. Like, um, are we willing to talk about the biological effects that actually some of these things have? Like, yeah, like and long term mental based on trauma, potential trauma. Hmm. Um, I know, I know one as a quick aside um now i'm not sure if they if they still hold this position johns hopkins um university uh uni- uh sorry john hopkins university's uh hospital the hospital connected to the university mm. for a very very long time and again this may have changed within the last three four years would not perform such operations because mm-hmm. of the dangers the physical dangers posed yes. by said operations yes and johns hopkins are a huge huge voice in the medical community in terms of uh knowledge and uh medical acumen mm-hmm. yeah like i mean that's an interesting one in of itself right like uh i thought it was interesting in the oral, oral submissions um one particular person kept on citing the american uh scientific journal I think that's the name of it. And this is like a journal that's actually widely discredited as being scientifically impartial now because it's actually, there's a number of popular instances where this is, uh, they've discredited um, their their name, their reputation. Um, Like before we actually close out and talking about the conversion therapy bill, and actually transitioning to ending this podcast, talking about actually a Christian response of what we could do and what we should do. I think it's important here to say here that actually protection and advocacy of human rights of people based on religion, age, and disability 
should be afforded for varying reasons. And so I think actually Christians should be able to affirm this. The LGBTQI plus considerations of identity are actually easier to defend on claims of a person objectively has rights to believe whatever they want. It's actually more difficult if they, what they subjectively believe about themselves must be held upheld as a human right and that any dissent is equivalent to hate. And like, as I further said, like, you know, if it's a person who's 18 plus years old, which, you know, typically under law is defined as you're an adult, you can actually make your own decisions. Totally fine. I think actually under the rule of law, we should respect that. But when we actually move the markers, the boundary stones and actually say, you know, children actually are being affected by the beliefs of others, which ironically is the whole point that actually is, we're trying to advocate against you know, is this a reverse conversion therapy? <laughs> I'm willing to advance that point, right? Like when it's children that are actually are threatened to be affected by this. Yeah. You know, in some cases irrevocably, like then we need to have like a just like no holds bars, no holds barred, no punches pulled conversation, you know? Yeah. Around the stuff. But we can't have those conversations with the likes of hate speech bills mm. being put into place. Yeah, so we're cancelled. See you guys next time. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully if it goes through, it doesn't backdate. Mm. Either way, I'll still say the same things. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of instances historically where actually law has been applied retroactively. I think you've said that before as well, right? Like, Yeah, the um, only cases i can think of uh, are cases in which people have been um uh been convicted for homosexual acts um back mm. you know back when in relatively recent shockingly recently recent history mm. uh, when it was a crime to commit sodomy um mm. that was the way in which it was uh, phrased in the court um, and, and a lot of people who had those convictions have had those appealed and mm. taken off their record mm. so that that's the only case in which i can think of that well, that's an interesting one about like you know coming right full circle what we're starting about the actual uh at the start of the podcast you know um, written into law and utility of law right yeah and actually how if, we, if it's used or whether it's used or how it's used but yeah Let's advance some points here that I think actually are going to be helpful, not only to the audience, but I actually think I, I'm saying this as much to myself as I'm saying to anyone here, some of these points. I mentioned previously, like, I think that we're finding ourselves in a society that's increasingly uh, tribal. It's around group identity. Yeah. It's, you know, arguably neo-feudal. Um, digital technology doesn't help this. I think we need to defer to a perspective of, this is what I'm going to start this point of the conversation with. We need to defer to the principles of, did I love my neighbor with my everything before God is my judge today? Yeah. That's a really important first point to consider. Did my yeah. conduct worship him? And secondly, in the case of the church, we need to trust the grace-filled process of sanctification yeah. And in the case of the non-believer, we need to actually trust regeneration and the spirit's will for differences of opinion. Yeah. Because 
that's a biblical model. That's within scripture. Yeah. Um, I don't, you don't, you won't find the words right and left in the Bible in the way that they're actually used today, right? But you will find a joint foci for loving God and loving others, um, loving the true God and his exact representation, right? What he actually requires of us in terms of expectations. Wait, so you're telling me that when Jesus said, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, he wasn't um, talking about a conspiracy of the right-wing government to hide secrets and, and destroy the left wing? Oh, yeah, total in deep state, total, uh, you know, inside oh, yeah, yeah, job yeah. from Netflix, total, like, live in echo chambers, don't let your right yeah. hand know what your left hand is doing. Yeah, definitely, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not what I'm advocating. Disclaimer, yeah. disclaimer. <laughs> um, we, we, have to, we have to vote Republican because Jesus sits at the right hand of the king. <laughs> and if you're on the left, you're a goat, no. <laughs> um, I think it's a matter of actually, I've summarised the statement here. Contend for truth, present in love, advocate for what is just. Mm. Um, talking to some of those ideas. Uh, John 8 verse 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, yeah. John 14 verse 6, we uh, revealed that the truth is personified. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Yeah, that whole instance that uh, last supper with the disciples is really interesting because in 16 verse 13 he's talking about the spirit of truth coming the counselor coming to guide us in all truth and actually in 17 verse 17 um the high priestly prayer commonly referred to christ actually talks about um he prays for us actually for believers then and believers now that god the father would sanctify us by his word which is truth yeah so there's a good point here actually about actually the, the Bible is actually something that's actually going to give us our, our markers, our guidance for actually what is true in these circumstances. And yeah. don't just look for isogetical proof texts, actually search scripture to actually see what, um, yeah, what all of it actually say on these matters. Um, I think actually on the love approach, uh, we've got words like, you know, for example, um, what first John four verse eight, whoever does does not love, does not know God, because God is love. Yeah. That's a really strong statement in terms of actually what we should do in our response to others. You mentioned um, First yeah. Timothy before in that relevant passage. Um, Romans 8 talks about actually what should separate us at the, from the love of God right at the end, and actually mm -hmm. uh, that's our guarantee as uh, Christians goes into shell, you know, famine or nakedness a sword or you know height uh, does anything in all of creation separate us from from the mm. love that is in christ jesus and, and it's an emphatic yeah. no i think fear in these kind of contexts and these kind of conversations it's replacing the place of love in the heart of yeah. a christian and it's yeah. interesting in first john that it talks about that actually perfect love drives out fear yeah and, very yeah, and, and that's exactly something that i was thinking earlier mm. is we Yes, they, they, these are problematic and, and worrisome mm -hmm. times um, with such proposed bills. Yes. And I may have used the language of, I fear this. or And in times I'm being honest when I say that. Um, honestly, I, I am fearful at times. I, I shouldn't be. Um, but ultimately, I know that whatever happens, 
I will try and I ask my Christian brothers and sisters to correct me uh, if I don't mm. to act in love. And I'll just um, quickly share this passage. Um, yeah, this is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, uh, earlier, a bit of a lead on to what you, what you mentioned from 1 John chapter 4, mm. uh, verses 7 to 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Mm-hmm. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness mm-hmm. and does not know where he is going because he, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Mm-hmm. Bill or no Bill, walk in love, yeah. walk in light. And yes, we will have different definitions of what love is. And yes, sometimes there, there is such a thing as tough love. Um, God exhibits it all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you hate your brother, um, if you hate those around you, how will you demonstrate grace? How will you share the gospel with them uh, Mm. with a loving heart? Mm. And I think like, like I've been really struck recently about some of the practicalities of scripture, like, so I used to I used to read like some of these passages, um, you know, like a book like James. It's very practical, right? And be like, you know, oh, that feels like a disconnect to me because it's like I more kind of actually go towards the ideological and the thematic and like the the philosophical, right? But then like I'm 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 seeing some of these passages and it's like oh, it's been there all along. I've just had like spiritual blinders, it would seem, right? Things like if you want a description of love some of us may, maybe need to go back to our wedding vows, that famous passage, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 8, right? Like, if you want to know what love is, it's patient. It's not, it's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Like, we have that as actually like, you know, sometimes we dismiss things when they become kind of <laughs> cheesy or stereotypical, but it's like, there's real wealth to be found in those verses about actually, oh, did what I just do was that kind? Was I patient? You know, did I envy what is another head? Was I boastful? Like, and more on, so on, so forth, right? I'm reminded also, actually, you quoted that passage, like the same John passage, like Jesus was clearly on a theme there, right, with what he was going for. Yeah. 15 verse 12 actually talks about Jesus giving a new commandment, which I was thinking recently, that's actually quite weighty. It's like, here are the Ten Commandments, Plus, here's another one that I also want you to remember. It's like, are we talking of that kind of equivalence? It's God himself speaking, right? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. I can't confess to actually loving my brothers and sisters in Christ as well as Christ has loved me. I have. then you've kept the commandment perfectly and you were willing to lay down your life for a friend as the verse goes on. Over the last seven (laughs) years, yes. 
I will admit I was a center back then. <laughs> oh, I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, here's like talking about this first part. It's important that we go scriptural with this, right? Yeah. You know, contending for truth, presenting love, but also advocating what is just. Hopefully, yeah. that's going to be sprinkled throughout what we've seen. Um, the one that often comes to mind when I think about justice, I think actually about, you know, that Micah 6, verse 8. Verse, he is showing you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is required of all men, all women, all brothers and sisters in Christ, actually. The, the mandate of us is actually how we walk, right? I'm also reminded of actually Matthew 5, verse 38 39 which actually challenges us to actually say, you've heard it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left. I don't see a lot of that in our church in New Zealand currently. Um, I can be both ashamed of actually how we've reacted, and I do say reacted there in situations. Sometimes I'm I'm ashamed of my own lack of action. So there's got to be a comfortable middle ground there, but also that actually trusts God to be the advocate of final justice because that same God is also gracious, perfectly gracious, right? Mm. Or in Romans 10 verse 30, um, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. This is a reminder, a hearkening back to that idea of we're trusting God to sanctification in the process of the church, every single individual, both in the microcosm and in the macrocosm, and we're trusting God to the work of regeneration in the non-believer. Um, that yeah. it's his, salvation is his work. And the transformation that comes accordingly actually is his work. But then we have the chilling words. And I think also life-giving words. Funny how scripture does that both end, right? Sometimes, right? But uh, Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes ends um, with this 13 verse 14. Uh, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good and whether it be evil. So don't, like the right right hand not knowing what your left hand kind of mentality is kind of in view here, because it's not actually, don't look at what they're doing or don't look at what the other person is doing. Did you love your neighbor today? Did you actually act in a way that actually venerated the Imago day and that other person that showed respect for who God created that person to be. Um, that's what I'm challenged to do in these uncertain times, right? Um, now, I should say here, like, you know, uh, authenticity and integrity of belief, clarity and polity, it's maintained throughout scripture. You know, there's, a, there's obviously the Jewish practice, you know, within the scribes, if you know, in translating books of the Old Testament as part of the Torah and part of the Tanakh, if they got even one stroke, pen stroke wrong, they'd throw out a whole manuscript and start it all over again. They, there was a precision and an exactitude to actually translating the word of God that they carried it over in a reference and what they yeah. did and what they accepted as their canon. Um, Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, actually, not one tittle or not one jot shall pass away from the law. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Um but Jesus also presented a radical departure from legalism, right? Kind of this balancing yeah. of um, Shammai and Halal, you know, the Jewish Pharisees of the time. 
chosen fans hold up hello <laughs> hello <laughs> um like we see that jesus advocated like the woe to the pharisees the seven woes right mm. he said yeah. that he desired he quoted this idea of mercy as desired not sacrifice and he that a doctor uh as a doctor that you visit the sick not healthy um yeah therefore as christians sympathy and empathy and compassion for the oppressed and the marginalized of this world is essential as it is required and it is commanded by jesus a focus yeah. on right doctrine and belief should implicitly lead to a love and advocacy of groups of people who need christ's love right action further an yeah. attention to, to the exactitude of the law should require us to be precise in interpretation given outworking not bias and vagaries like you know I, i'm wondering about like some with some of this uh vaccine mandate stuff that's happening at the moment like are we going to have like the equivalent of lepers in our society you know a year from now mm. what's going to be the christian orthopraxis there how are we going to yeah. respond to our brothers and sisters in christ um yeah if these hate speech proposals go through how yeah. should we actually respond to these people that actually in some sense we should affirm their advocacy we should affirm their rights in some sense yeah it is and they're, they're very uh very previously well protected health rights um i remember mm. talking about this to you and mm. saying i i'm worried about seeing which churches uphold the because in this uh, vaccine mandate, just as a yes. disclaimer for those who are unaware in and outside New Zealand, yes, churches will not be forced to uphold this mandate. They, they won't be forced to um, uh, only allow in people who are vaccinated into their churches. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll leave it up to those churches to decide for themselves individually. Yes. Which is good. But they those churches who do decide to uphold that, I worry for um mm, mm. and i i'm yeah i i hope there aren't that many mm, mm. Yeah. yeah like i think some churches you know some pastoral leadership have some decisions to make this right uh going yeah. forward uh, i think um where i see some of this contentious contentious also is around like a well, well, firstly, it's the provisions and freedoms supposedly granted to special groups with these proposals. Yeah. Two, it's the subjectivism required in both interpretation and application throughout the proposals as they currently stand. And three, it's mm. the, the contrast of LGBTQI plus ideological conceptions of psychology and anthropology, as opposed to this Imago Dei design-based gender binary. Yeah. Like Christians are worried, I think, both publicly and privately, if their affirmation of religious expression on these points, if they hold sincerely out of love for others, would be seen as something that they could be criminalized for. Because yeah. this isn't just the hate speech proposals. This is the conversion therapy bill. This is the Harmful Digital Communications Act. We see that there is a body of law that is being developed around some of these points, right? Yeah. Tr truth be told, I don't think many Christians who fear their liberties are being approached on are engaging meaningfully with members of our of the queer community i know i could myself do better definitely um 
one side sees gender as subjectivism and the other sees it as an objective affirmation of the subjective experience. Therefore, it's just as legitimate. Mm. But however, like, and I think actually that's important to understand and actually understanding different worldviews, right? Um, if we want to actually be salt and light, if we want to have both discipleship and evangelistic conversations, we've got to make efforts to understand the other perspective and the other point of view. Yeah. Um, but, but that said, I, 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 however, on the other points of disability, age, religion, Christians should have less of an issue affirming the need to protect these affected groups from hateful acts. Uh, yeah. I see less problem there. Yeah. And, um, and, and I go back to what you said about there, there is a need for a variation of this conversion therapy bill. Mm, there mm. is a need for it. Um, mm. I don't deny that. Mm. I wholeheartedly agree with that as just in the form that it is currently in. Um, similarly to what I mentioned um, later, the end of life bill. Now I'm, I'm personally not mm. uh, for um, legalizing euthani uh, euthanization, mm. Mm. but a lot of doctors, a lot of medical professionals and non-medical professionals, a lot of mm. people in, in Aotearoa were saying we're not anti-euthanasia some of them mm. were saying we're pro it but not mm. in this form yes yes and this is what this is where division has destroyed things so so strongly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that we can't even have these conversations because people so quickly become extremely one or left or right and they're, they're so ready for a bipartisan argument when it's actually, no, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you, but, you know, we, there, there are ways yeah. in which we can both be happy with this. Um, it's like the heckles are up before we even going into the conversation. Yeah, yeah and, and it's kind of like as soon as you mention, I'm not pro-vaccine mandates, it's people instantly start labeling someone as an anti-vaxxer and, people instantly bring up this this idea of of different classes uh, of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated which our prime minister has has admitted that she that, believes that that is the case that is what it is that is what that it is. is what it is yeah yeah um yeah she that's exactly what she said uh, therefore <laughs> yeah which is interesting because her given her background for being very involved with a lot of socialist groups. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that she's a socialist and she's Comrade Ardern. I'm not saying that. Um, I have said it. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm not saying that. Hit it. Hit it. <laughs> but what I am saying is that those kind of ide ideologies are mm. very anti-classism mm. or mm. at least supposedly so. Mm. Yet, here she is here the country is supporting these these ideas of of classism and these ideas of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated mm -hmm. and this is why we need these conversations we yes. need to be able to have these conversations we need yes. to be used to having these conversations because otherwise we'll just come at it with a whole bunch of straw men and instantly say, oh, you're just a loon. 
go put go put your tinfoil hat back on mm-hmm. listen to alex jones and you know complain about the reptilians you know mm-hmm. well like as a bit of a side point like it's a bit of a tangent here it's worth saying i think there's I don't know if you remember, man, like growing up in churches, like eschatology was like the moot, you know, topic that was talked, you know, thematically from a lot of pulpits, yeah. right? And I think there's this jet lag from like jettisoned premillennialism, which I think many Christians struggle with to varying degrees, uh, yeah. with where our limited understanding of eschatology, when stuff happens that feels out of our control in a number of different ways, in a number of different areas, I think we in the West, we start to think, oh, is this it? Is this the period it gets like worse before it gets much better? Like, is this yeah. price coming back soon? Like, the yeah. key theme of Revelation, um, I believe, is God wins. God wins. Yeah. He sees Amen. and has planned accordingly for all of history, act accordingly. <laughs> yeah. No matter how the timeline works, he wins. Yeah, well, I love that it's yeah. like the lamb is proven worthy to open the scroll and it's only like when the lamb is actually shown to be worthy he opens up the seals that actually are the revelation of the eschaton it's like he's actually saying now the end will come now the end will begin because i decree it because i actually ordain it yeah Um, i think and and there there are some great pieces very similar to what you mentioned Mm. in a blog um written by a New Zealand-based um, blog, uh, When Lambs Are Silent. Um, mm. Our co-host, uh, Christine, is friends with uh, AJ Hendry of that, and I've been following that blog for quite some time. He was a laid law and, uh, guy as well. Yeah, and and, mm. and there are some very great points uh, mm. put forth by him in, in those articles. Mm. I think it's... Uh... The, the, the church's approach yeah. to COVID and vaccines and the like. Mm. I think it's like, you know, we talked about like acting justly and love and, you know, contending for truth before, right? It's being faithful to the calling of us until Christ returns. I'm reminded of the parable of the wicked servant, right? It's like, oh, let's just yeah. sit in our hands and like, let's actually behave badly until Christ returns. Like, mm. how do we know? Judgment Unless you're a preterist and he already returned. <laughs> Oh, then you get you're covered. <laughs> um, I think part of that faithfulness actually does require like it requires being a a good joint citizen, like both the pilgrim pr- principle and the indigenizing principle. This idea of yeah. like this world is not my home, but also I am as a sojourner. I am called to claim this world for Christ and actually show that revelation of kingdom now, kingdom not yet, this working out of salt and light in my facility, right? You know, there's this idea of, while not of this world, you need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we wisely need to discern what hills are the ones we're going to die on. Yeah. You know, there there have been some conversations even in our household about actually like, is this something that I'm going to actually kick up a fuss about? Is this something as a Christian I'm going to say? No, yep, this is something I'm going to stand up and say, no, no, no further. This is the line. Um, and I yeah. think we need to discern each Christian with their own conscience before Christ, before Holy Spirit, actually work out where those lines are and respect to yeah. those if those lines differ, you know, from me for, to you. They, I respect that actually that's what we're coming through. But remember to contend for truth, present in love and act with justice. Yeah. Um, 
I think that we need to be really careful when stuff like this happens, like in a New Zealand context, that we don't play into confirmation bias echo chambers where we play martyrs adopting a kind of persecution complex. You yeah. know, I really hope the outworking of such legislation, if proved, is purely as stated as, as a desire to foster greater unity in our society. Yeah. And there is there is still that hope, as mm. as unlikely as I personally believe it to be, but mm. I still hold on to that hope should that mm. um, be passed. And hey, if not, we can Dietrich Bonhoeffer at all. Well, I do think it's an invitation. I'm not to going like... to actually, I'm just <laughs> for clarity's sense. sake, as a legal disclaimer, that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> I, I do not, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like, I think there's even anecdotal evidence uh, of instances in the Bible, um, scripture where laws and oath and legality bound what people were able to do in different instances, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, th- it's curious that there is actually instances of that in scripture. Um, uh, the first one that comes to mind is like the Daniel instance in Daniel 6, where we have um, the Persian king who basically says, well, I have to throw you in the lines, Dan, because of what actually the law dictates. And I myself wrote it like, we can go into the whole context of that and the whole cultural context of that maybe another time. But yeah. once Laura is enacted, it's hard to redact. And so, like, if there's some of these legislation, instances of legislation are passed through, then I think actually we should be worried. So in, in the meantime, actually, we should exercise our democratic right perhaps on some of our submissions because they have asked for submissions on the... Uh, hate speech proposals previously and the conversion yeah. practice bill previously i think those times have officially closed but that doesn't mean you can't you know email message your uh, send a letter to your local electorate politician um mm-hmm. i think as christians we ought to be vocal on two fronts like where it is regarding fellow christians who hold varying beliefs and stances on these issues I think we should have less compunction about bringing the conversation because I actually think it's our responsibility before God to act righteously based on our convictions within the body and trust that the spirit will yield the best result. I'm not talking about outside the body. I'm talking about inside the body, you know, mm-hmm. um, but where public policy is, is being suggested that affects all people, not just Christians. I believe we have a civic liberty. Some may argue an obligation, <laughs> Um, a civic liberty to exercise freedoms where in the, in the meantime, currently, we have to debate such issues with living heads. A society that avoid, affords the most freedom with respect to unity and diversity is in the best interest of all in a pluralistic context. Yeah. Um, perhaps in our submissions, people should cause, like, call for the inversion of safe spaces in New Zealand, you know, approve spaces and places where free speech conversation or robust discussion and open debate uh, around the exchange of ideas is actually protected. Um, yeah. I mean, if this is the direction our current government is going, right, like, uh, yeah. then the government needs to syncretically find a way to meet the needs of its people by preserving such such sanctions in the names of human rights for New Zealanders and liberty for New Zealanders. Yeah. You know? mm. um, I, I want to say here as well, like there's a place I think, like if I'm honest, I, I am a little bit scared of what this means for me and other Christians. 
Um, yeah. We've talked about perfect love drives out for you, and I've definitely been finding a, a refuge in Christ at this point in, in time, like talking about this and praying through this, right? Yeah. Um, it's that fear that some of the understandable responses come from. As people do impulsive and foolish and even wicked things out of those primal responses. Yeah. But this could actually even be a place of empathy with those who are the victims of hate speech, of the suggested hate speech, right? And maybe even those within the LGBTQI plus community who have also felt levels and degrees of fear over periods of time in our New Zealand history. Maybe that's actually a place where we can actually love. Hey guys, sorry for the choppy uh, recording there. Uh, our internet ran into some issues as we were recording our Zoom chat. And praise the Lord, uh, the files were recovered. We thought for a few minutes that this whole chat that we had recorded was gone, but it's all back. Uh, so we've just got our little, uh, little closing part to finish. Thanks for watching or listening, wherever you are. And uh, enjoy the rest. Okay, so final things. Uh, final things to leave with. Elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> I look at it as here, to all of you guys, to myself here, faith and fear are poles apart from each mm. other. There's an invitation here to actually re-identify with the marginalization of Christians throughout history. And our experiences, <laughs> they took my freedoms. Like, it's, it's, it's not comparable, like, to actually what the church, if you know even a little bit of church history, what we've gone through. Yeah. It's interesting considering, like, having never been the ones in power, how do we love as Christ's love from the position of least? I, I don't believe it's actually from a place of fear, but perhaps it's from a place of being well-informed. Yeah. We can really trust that God is on the throne in any scenario. So I think actually as the body, we need to find the things we can affirm. Christians should be more discerning to find the spaces where we can affirm as well as actually stand against. We're often, with our stereotype, known for what we're against. Could we be known for what we're for? Mm. The stand against discrimination on most of these bases should be things we can affirm, yeah. um, provided we don't have a special class of people protected emerge um i think we need to actually participate in that great tradition great christian tradition of subverting culture as well as standing for what you believe in your conscience before god is true find positive alternatives to advocate on behalf of those in, who need the witness of a god who loves them and lastly i think it's also worth considering that actually as progressive christianity becomes more vogue we actually need to be involved in these conversations um, around plurality of beliefs, around the LGBTQI conversation in Christendom, it's, it's going to become more commonplace. So we need to be faithful as a body of believers to be involved in the iron sharpening process of dialogue. And we're praying that actually Holy Spirit inhabits that. Because with regards to the hate speech proposals, this certainly isn't just an LGBTQI plus issue. Um, this is related. It's important to discuss with nuance and discernment wise as serpents, harmless as doves, um, but, and above all, loving, right, but the reach of the, these hate speech revisions and application to age, disability, religion, it makes this a wider and more sophisticated issue than just this aspect of the discussion, and so we need to talk about it in terms of the, the wider range and context, not just that, yeah, um,
my good man, we, we should probably pray uh, regarding some of this stuff, right? We should probably give this up to the Lord in prayer. All yeah. the stuff we've talked about. Parts one, twos, and threes. Hey, yeah. hey, twos and threes. <laughs> and then um, for those, those Christian brothers and sisters who um, refuse to get rid of the persecution complex, uh, hey, there's a lot of persecution of the Christian church in China and it spreads like wildfire there. So, hey, maybe, maybe we'll... Uh, Maybe the Lord wants us to be persecuted and uh, to spread the church in an even greater way. So hold on to that hope if you refuse to, uh, <laughs> if, if you want to be a martyr. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the early church had something to say about those who sought martyrdom. Potentially, potentially. Yeah, maybe a little bit in the Bible. <laughs> um, let, let's close off with, um, with uh, some prayer. Hmm. Would you like to pray or shall I? Or? Yeah. Lord God, we, uh, we, we thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you've done. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to speak like this. We pray that uh, your words, uh, so as a retroactive prayer, God, we, we pray that your words may have spoken through us uh, as, as we have prayed previously lord uh, we pray that perfect love um, may be in our hearts lord as your beloved disciple john wrote we love because you first loved us so we pray that we may step forward and whatever happens with uh, the state of our nation the state of the world, that we Christian brothers and sisters may step forward and drive out that fear, preach the gospel of love and truth, justice, mercy, and grace. Lord, give us strength to stand up when we're fearful and give us humility to stand back when it's not our turn to speak. For justice is yours. Vengeance is yours, Lord. May we always remember that. And may we always remember to walk humbly, love mercy and justice. Well, God, we pray these things over ourselves and over our nation and over our world. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, friend. And perhaps it should be said here as well. Uh, <laughs> oversight. Christine gives her apologies that she couldn't be here for um, this part of the, po the podcast. Her intentions and her heart were this is the podcast that we definitely tried to make happen on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Um, but she uh, she gives us her blessing to go ahead and do it. She loves uh, you all and wishes you all the best. And uh, you'll be sure to see her again soon in our following podcast as we look to share more in the future. Indeed. Um, yeah join us for a couple of interviews that'll be coming up as well as a testimony uh as well as we actually discuss some um, important topics like conversion therapy more yeah. like uh our covid cast as we're calling it <laughs> yeah. we have a couple of interesting ones in the bag so until then guys bless you all love you all um great to chat with you man yeah miss you yeah, yeah. cool should have a picnic of 10 at some point, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs>
Let's go.